we're constantly being sold a line that it's doom and gloom unless we turn to government and government steps in, diverts all of our co- our constitutional rights and privileges, and um, and steps in and saves the day. Welcome back to the Interview Podcast on the Why Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. WhyMillbank.com is the website for everything that comes out of this studio. TheInterviewPodcast.org is where you can go help support this show. Find the donate button. You choose the value you get out of the show. We are run and funded on the value for value model, which says you decide the value you get out of the show. Turn that into dollars, send it back to us, or tell your friends about it. Share it around your social media and your sphere of influence. Continuing in our political series here today, Adam Grimm, adamgrimm.com. That's Grimm, G-R-I-M-M. Adam Grimm is an insanely talented wildlife artist. AdamGrimm.com. He's also running to become one of the House members to represent District 4 in South Dakota, in the South Dakota House. So I wanted to talk to him and see why he wanted to run and what he might bring to the table. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Let's jump right into it. Thanks so much for listening. Adam Grimm, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's rare we get in-studio guests, and so I love it. That so thanks for taking the drive. Yeah, it's it's like an hour. It's not that bad for us. So That means, that means you have to do it again. This is fun. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Locked. It's like hooked, hooked in there. All right. Um, you... Let's see. I'm trying to think when I first saw your name, and I think literally it was about a week ago. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So that was the first time. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I saw a sign in someone's yard yep. that just said Grim. Oh. And I wasn't sure if I should be unhappy about that or sad or <laughs> Grim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I know I was actually joking with someone. They they uh when they heard I was running, they were trying to help me think of like a campaign slogan and they said, With Grim, the future is not, not grim, <laughs> right? Not grim, and so it's just kind of silly. It's like, yeah, oh, I mean, but then there is the grim fairy tales. So, yes, you know, so you could you could say it's like a fairy tale, but it's kind of weird too. Like, I don't, really, I'm not, I don't know if I really want to be associated with that. Although I am actually related to the grim fairy tale people, the guys that wrote the grim fairy tales. Really? Yeah, the brothers, the grim? brothers grim. Yeah. So, did you make that up, or you've actually did some? Weird... No, my my grandfather actually did a lot of genealogy stuff and traced it back. So, but then, of course, their stories were kind of creepy. So, I don't know if that's really good to be associated with them <laughs> or not. So, well, I uh, apparently I have connection to Napoleon way back in the day, really. So. Oh, well, there I you don't go. really tout that very much either. You so. know, actually, when I saw you, that was the first thing I thought of. This guy looks like Napoleon because no, I, I know because I'm short. Don't. It works no. out. <laughs> Excellent. No, no. So uh, you are running for uh, South Dakota House uh, uh, representatives for District Four. That's correct. Which is the district our studio lives in. Yep. Um, why in the world did you decide to jump into this? 
even though it's South Dakota and it's yeah. rural South Dakota, why did you jump into politics? So I had no political aspirations. I'm not a politician. Uh, I'm an artist, which is not generally what you think of as far as someone that wants to go into politics. And I, I really don't. Um, you know, it's something that when I actually had a phone call came in from one of the state legislators from another district, he knows me just kind of not like really personally, but he knows he's visited me a number of times about issues and he knows I'm very socially and fiscally conservative and he is as well. And he called me and he said, have you ever considered running for office? And I said, no. And he said, well, he said, do you know that they redistricted your area? And he said, because they redistricted the lines, he said, John Mills, who's one of the state representatives, can no longer run in your district. Ooh, so he it, got dis- he, he got, got districted out, out right? He got carved out. And so I don't know if that was on purpose or I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but he said, so there's actually an open house seat. He said, there's two seats. Fred Deutsch is the incumbent. He said, John Mills would have been, but now he's gone. So um, he's, I think, running in his new district now. Hmm. Um, but he asked me, he said, would you be willing to run for that seat? And I said, no. Because <laughs> why would anybody want to go into politics? I mean, honestly, I it's I pay attention to politics. I pay mm-hmm. attention to what's going on in our country because I really do care about the future. of. I mean, I have four children. Uh, I worry about what kind of future we're leaving for them. So that was why he, well, he asked me, he said, well, why wouldn't you consider running? And I said, well, I think I would make a horrible politician. I said, I tend to just tell people what I really think. And that doesn't usually work out so <laughs> well for politicians. <laughs> and he said, no, he said, actually, that's that's really what we need. He said, we need people that aren't afraid to just speak their mind and tell people what they think. He said, just remember, they don't have to vote for you. So mm-hmm. he said, if if you're upfront and honest about what you believe and where you stand, he said, then, you know, let the chips fall yeah. where they may. And I thought, well, that actually makes sense. So I talked to my wife about it. We prayed about it as a family. Um you know, it's not something I really want to do or wanted to do, uh, but I don't know. I look at my children's eye. I look at their faces in the evening when we're sitting there at the supper table, and I hear about things going on in our world. And, you know, at, at what point do you do you really stand up and try to make a difference for them? And so I've I've worked hard my whole life with my career as an artist to try to provide for them and to take care of them. But there's all these outside forces that we can't really do anything about and can't really protect them from, um, at least not sitting at home painting pictures of ducks. So I talked with my wife about it and uh, prayed about it. Like I said, I was waiting for that big booming voice to say, yes, Adam, you should run or no, you should not, whatever it was. And that voice didn't come. (laughs) So I, I made a deal. I was like, okay, God, here we go. I'll try it. If you want me in there, let it happen. If not, then that's okay too. So I have plenty of stuff I have to, I have to do to keep me busy. Um, I mean, like a lot to do to keep me busy. I have, I am like buried with, with, uh, with work. So, um, yeah. So I decided to go ahead and try it and throw my hat in the ring, and we'll see what happens. How has the response been so far? It's actually been really good. Uh, <coughs> You know, I've had a, I've had a lot of people that have contributed to my campaign. Um, it means so much that people actually 
believe in you mm-hmm. and where you stand on something enough that they're willing to like give you money for running. And so I, I actually was telling my wife on the way up here, I said, you know, if I, if I don't win, I'm totally fine with it. Other than I do worry about maybe where some of the alliances with some of the other people maybe lie. Um, Cause I do want to, I, I think I would be a, a good solid choice as a conservative candidate. Um, but the biggest regret I think I would have is is letting down the people that have donated to the campaign mm-hmm. because I mean they're actually putting their hard earned dollars behind you wanting to see you win, and if I lose, it's not like I can just pay everybody back. I mean it's yeah, so I'll feel kind of like I let them down. So I thought, well, I'm just going to work as hard as I can so that at least I know that I did the best I could do with with what I had and with my resources. So. Do you have a platform you're standing on, or is it just? Uh, I mean, I'm very socially and fiscally conservative. I've got little handouts here that I've been going door to door with. Um, you know, I stand up for religious liberty. Uh, meaning, <laughs> meaning, well, for example, the COVID vaccine. A lot of people have objections to getting that, knowing that it was either developed on or tested on uh, aborted babies. I'm 100% pro-life. Okay, quite, hold on. So, go ahead. No, I want to dig through this a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the, there is some talk that some people claim that there were some aborted fetus testing yep. for this vaccine. Uh, but that would also cover a bunch of the other required vaccines that That's children have to get. So is it honest for someone to try to stand on principle for the COVID shot and not stand on principle for the others? <laughs> that That's a good question. I mean, I think for, for a lot of people... They were maybe vaccinated, like I myself, when I was younger. It wasn't my choice to make. I mean, my parents made the best choice at the time that they had with what the information they had been given. Um, you want to trust your medical care providers. Um, you know, I we do. I mean, there's there's times that, and we try not to go to the doctor unless we really need to. Uh, but you want to think that you can trust them. But mm-hmm. then I think the COVID, the COVID stuff changed a lot of people's view i think of that because you could talk to this doctor over here or this doctor over here and they have completely different views on what's happening and what's the best idea to what what's the best treatment what's the best route to go um and it was interesting that certain doctors weren't allowed to speak about their opinion and other doctors were the only ones that were approved with their messaging and so um yeah, I know for my wife and I, I mean, and, and I like science, I like biology, you know, with my artwork, I'm involved with nature stuff all the time. So I love reading about nature and viruses, like a lot of other things are part of nature. And so I put a lot of time into researching that as well. And yes, it is true. There are definitely other vaccines and other medications. And you could even argue, I mean, they've, I don't know, used like for flavor enhancement and stuff things from aborted babies for products i don't know i mean it's it's so weird but um yeah i think that i think that if someone objects to something because they found out like hey this has this uh that they should have that right to object on that pla- on that basis and and you could say it's re- their religious liberty um because they don't believe that it's abortion is right and so they don't believe that it should be right to use products that were developed or built upon aborted babies. Does um, it need to be a religious 
or 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 could would it be appropriate as well for someone to just be able to say no it's my body <laughs> yeah i want to choose what goes in it i totally agree no religion or not yeah i think religion or not aside but the issue that i think we run into is that there are some places that say well no we're going to force you anyways and so the only way around it is if you can claim religious liberty and and so some some businesses would recognize that and some wouldn't and i think that is kind of an issue like i think that if if you really believe something that you should have that right you know i think body autonomy um you know it's your body you should have the ability to decide what can go in or not and if if you object to something um i mean it could be meat right some people don't eat meat you shouldn't be forced to have to eat meat for for any reason so uh just as an example so right. i yeah I, I believe in personal liberty and freedom so um you want me to name off the, some other things well, or <laughs> yeah well i'm trying to think if i had another thought in there but yeah go ahead okay well so uh well i already mentioned i'm 100 percent pro-life meaning um, so we'll, we'll dig into that does that yes. mean um in 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 regards to abortion, correct? In, car, in regards to abortion, okay, yes. So define that slightly. Okay, so if you look at abortion statistics, the reasons why people have abortions, virtually all of them are out of convenience. So it doesn't really fit their current lifestyle. It might interfere with their work, their school. Um, so there's reasons that they have decided that they want to have the abortion. Um, I also found it interesting, most women that have had abortions have actually had abortions before. So the majority of women that are getting abortions have already had a previous abortion. And so it ends up proving that they're basically using it as kind of a form of birth control mm. uh, for the times that maybe they weren't responsible uh, with their choices. So um, the other times, you know, people talk about rape and incest, which is like a fraction of 1%. It's like super rare. Um, they also talk about the health of the mother, but the health of the mother as an issue is also extremely rare. There's any normal pregnancy. Uh, it's, it's an extremely rare case where there's actually a risk that the mother's health, uh, from carrying the baby, because it's not a really long time that you have to carry a baby. It's only nine months. Uh, obviously if you have stage four cancer and you're worried about getting chemotherapy, uh, because if you don't, you might not make it right. Uh, I understand that, but you don't have to have an abortion to get cancer treatments, right? So, so having an abortion isn't really going to solve anything in that situation. Um, there, what happens is a lot of people, a lot of women, and even healthcare providers have even said this, is if, if they know that if they have the ability to use health of the mother as an exemption, they can claim it for anything, right? It could be emotional. It could be... Um, you know, it doesn't have to mean physical health, like the mother is going to die. It just has to mean that in the best interests of the mother's health. So it, there was an abortion doctor said, if I have a woman that comes in and says she wants an abortion, I can use that as a, a reason to abort the baby, even though just the could, intent. Yeah, just the intent. Mm -hmm. um, people talk about uh, the ectopic pregnancies, which is where the baby's in the fallopian tube developing. It's not a viable pregnancy, right? So that's never going to make it. So it's really, yeah, I mean, you, you could you could argue that's an abortion. It's really not. I mean, it's it's the baby's going to die regardless. That would be a danger for the health of the mother. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you know, but in, in the terms of viable pregnancies, there's really not an issue with that. So, um, sorry, I'm looking for something I want to read you. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> I uh, follow several different genres of people across the social media. Yeah. Uh, because why not? That's what we do. Um, Entertainment. <laughs> is that what we call it? <laughs> um, speaking of pro-life, <clears throat> it was a uh, an account called The Less Stressed Lawyer mm-hmm. on Instagram, if you're interested. You can go look it up. Uh, it was a post from three days ago, and this would have been right after the, because today is May 27. Yeah. Uh, well, three days ago, the... Down in Uvalde, Texas, there was a school, another school shooting. Yep. Uh, so this was what this, her name is Olivia, this person posted publicly to the social medias. Uh, from this point on, this is a quote from the post, mm-hmm. I'll no longer use the term pro-life to refer to a party, politicians, voters, campaigns, or policies that clearly aren't. Language matters. Let's use it accurately. So her suggestion is to use pro-gun or anti-school safety, use pro-bodily control, anti-bodily autonomy, or anti-abortion. But no more pro-life. She claims it's just inaccurate. (laughs) Yeah, there's some interesting people out there. And I can understand how people can try to use that that terminology. Uh, The left has always been really good at how they label things or word things um it's uh yeah i mean if you know they they want to say they're pro-choice right so they're not anti-life right they're pro-choice and so it's, it's kind of the way that they try to use it uh the people on the right countered and said okay well we're pro-life then uh and so again it's what do what do these terms mean so it gets down to that well what is a life Right. When when is a human a human um, science? You don't have to look at religion. Science proves it is that from the moment of conception, you have an individual human life, uh, their own unique DNA. Um, it's it is predetermined what that baby is going to end up being and growing into, um, just like planting a seed in the ground. So it's not going to you can't plant a corn s- seed and have it grow into a maple tree or something different. I mean, it's going to be what it's going to be. So <clears throat> on the issue of life, I believe life begins at conception. So people say, well, you know, we should be able to have the choice to abort the baby or fetus, right? Again, labels. And so the left likes to use the term fetus. I use the term baby because it is a baby. Fetus actually means to spring off, um, which is just another offspring perhaps yep, just another way of saying it so um but they they like that it sounds less human to call it that or they could call it a clump of cells which is the same thing that we are sitting here just a big clump of cells bigger than what a baby is when they're in the womb but you know it's a baby and it's a baby from conception on now does it look like a baby when it's in the early stages well no but you know people change i mean this is just like a baby chick growing in an egg it's going to hatch out to be a chicken um it'll be a little chick at first but when it's in the earliest stages does it look like it no but that's it's still a chick um just in the earlier stages so uh so for me 
It's like, well, then when is it a life? Well, if, if life is at conception, then when is it okay to kill that life? And people talk about, well, when the heartbeat. Well, what about when there's brain waves? And, you know, like when, uh, for me, I, I don't think we can pinpoint that, right? So I've heard people say, well, up until the moment of birth or even like maybe a month before that, right? Well, there's been babies that have been born way before that when they should have been. And that's counted as a life because obviously it's born. It's born at like 40 weeks, right? And it's a, it's a life. You can see it's a baby. It's moving. It's breathing. Um, it might need some help because, but you know, a lot of people at that are adults need help too. So, um, so you have, you have that, but then yet, and we're supposed to be, believe that's a life, but then up at eight months when, or even nine months when some people just before delivery, people think that you can actually abort a baby at that point, but because it's not out of the womb, it's not a baby, but this one that was born way early clearly is. And has all of the rights. You can't go and stab that uh, that delivered baby. That's a you know maybe a premature birth, but you can't go and stab that baby and not have that be a murder, right? That's still going to be considered a murder. You'll, you're going to go to prison, uh, but yet we should be able to abort a baby right up till birth. And so you have a lot of varying degrees of belief on that stuff. I, I totally get it. I am very. Should it be subjective? I don't think it should be. Because I don't think life is subjective. I mean, we know that it's a human life. Um, I don't think size or age should determine that. I think that's a slippery slope. We already see in California, they've talked about being able to abort a baby 28 days after birth. So what is that? You know, when wh where do you draw the line? I mean, if, is, it, is it just a matter of whether you want it or not? Uh, the, it, it must be that. I think that's what it is. It, but, it, but that is so arbitrary if if they if yeah so if it's a it's a baby if i want it to be a baby actually one of the people's whose houses it wasn't myself that knocked on the door but a friend of mine and uh there was a woman there pregnant had a little girl and clearly pregnant so it wasn't like just like a couple weeks <laughs> when, along when you're not supposed to right. say anything <laughs> she, right you don't want to ask right? right i mean but but it's at the point where you're pretty sure yeah. they're pregnant and not just weirdly shaped right so so you uh so he actually said something are, are you republican and she's like no i'm pro-choice and she, you know she was very proud with that and my friend's very pro-life and he said but how can you say that i mean you've got a beautiful little girl here and you're pregnant you've been blessed with another baby and she said it's a fetus and he said are you going to give birth to a fetus and she's like okay well it, we can call it a baby and it was just this whole interaction that he had that he told me about and um but you know i think that's the thing it's like they 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 want to be able to say that abortion's okay and they if you talk to someone who's pro abortion you'll finally get them to admit that yes it's a baby yes i know that it's killing a baby and i'm okay with that hmm. and that's kind of where they end up so is it you know when 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 the person whose quote you read talks about body autonomy um you know, I'm not trying to tell someone what they can or can't do with their body, right? I didn't make them go and get pregnant. So uh, I'm just saying that I don't think it's right that they should be able to kill someone else. If it, if it was about their body, they would be the one that was dead after the abortion. But it's not. It's someone else. So are you uh, on the side of uh, welfare? I am on the side of personal responsibility. I think that we want safety nets. I don't think it's the government's place. So the the argument 
is that you're not pro-life. Right, unless yeah. you are pro all of life, making sure that the life... And, you know, I, I was looking for the quote from uh, a local uh, ex-politician here. Yep. Uh, and I've heard that it. argument. But, but, but it's... Before. You you can't claim to be pro life unless you You're willing are to take care of going to take care of that baby and the mother, right? So so people should be able to do whatever they want, and they shouldn't have to be held accountable or responsible, but other people should for their choices. And I don't think that's right. I mean, I make choices. I don't expect other people to step up and take care of me or my kids. Um, you know, I I believe in personal responsibility. I think there are people who really do need help. And obviously people that have young kids, I think they need help. Um, we donate to charitable causes. Um, you know, churches help out. I mean, there's there's a lot of people. That's what's always been done in the past. Should should so, those things, though, and, and one of the things that I've wondered in all of this is, yeah. should is it appropriate to tie those together to where, you know, it, if you are, as you claim to be pro-life, so yep. you are anti-abortion, yep. can you hold that view and still be maybe not anti, but at least against just open coffers from the government as welfare. Oh yeah, I think you have to. Can be. you hold both of those views? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because if you look at okay, so the Indian take an Indian reservation for example. I don't know if you've ever driven through an Indian reservation. Tons of government handout money coming in, and you see some of the most rundown. Uh, houses and you know the i mean just the way that the properties treated right so i've always had this idea that native people were respecting the land and you know there i used, i remember a commercial that used to run it had an indian uh native american on a horse riding through this area and there was some litter on the ground and then you see a close up and you see a tear running down his face as he's looking at that litter but yet you drive through an indian reservation and there's there's a lot of that, hmm. and it's because the people were given stuff, and they they didn't earn it on their own, right? They didn't, uh, they don't have the the respect for it because it, they didn't work for it. But but weren't they owed it? You could argue that, yeah, you could argue that, and uh, you know, but there comes a point where when are we? When is helping someone not really helping them? Hmm. It's like if you have a friend who has a hard time with financial stuff, if you are giving him money all the time, helping him, he's not going to ever get better, right? He's going to have the same issues reoccurring because there's always someone there to bail him out. So, um, you know, I want to see everyone succeed. I want to see everyone financially sound. I mean, that's what I've worked hard to try to have in my life. Um, if, if people can be rewarded for their work and, and if there's not, uh, some kind of, I mean, we want some sort of safety net, right? I don't, I'm not, I don't want to see people starving to death or anything like that. And we have a ton of charities, uh, around, um, that are doing that work. I, I was just in Utah not that long ago and they have all kind of things in this city of Salt Lake city to help people that are destitute. And, and we want that. I mean, we are an advanced society. Uh, who's responsible for that though? For their destitution? No, 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 no. For for the programs. Oh, it's, who, it, who should be responsible? I think for that? actually in Salt Lake City, Utah, I think it's actually the the Mormon Church. Mm. So, um, so, but there's, so in South Dakota, who who should be responsible for picking that up? Well, I I don't I no I don't think we want it to be government involved. I mean, government that if you look at the Constitution, there's nothing in there that says that 
it should be ensuring everyone has a certain amount of goods, right? Um, if you look at the when the founding fathers first came to the New World, right? You could call it to North America. Um, they had a socialist setup program, so they had it where the there was a community garden, right? Everyone was to help with this garden, you know, the hunting, the clothing, the women all made clothes for everybody. They had all of this community stuff and it was, uh, everyone worked it. And then at the end, everyone was given the portions that they felt that should be given out. And a bunch of people died because they starved, right? Because it didn't take very long for people to know, okay, well, why am I working so hard? I'm going to get the same amount regardless Right. So I can be a little lazy and it's not that big a deal. And uh, and I, I, if I don't have the same share of the work that other people are having, it's not that big of a deal because I'm going to end up getting the same amount in the end really anyways. And so if everybody starts having that attitude, then who's picking up the tab? Right. Who's growing? Who's taking care of the garden? Who's going out hunting? Who's sewing all the clothing? Uh, we're not we're not like honeybees, right? We don't all have that worker mentality and what's good for the hive. Um, we're more selfish beings than that. I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the truth of it. And so uh, William Bradford, who was the head of the pilgrims that came over, he ended up dividing up land and saying, okay, everyone work your own spot. If you if you grow more than you need, you can trade it or sell it or whatever. And that was really when the colonies flourished or the not colonies, the, the pilgrims flourished, right? They, they ended up having producing so much, uh, produce that they were actually will, able to export it. And William Bradford wrote about it in his journal. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not hearsay. I mean, you can read it for yourself. And so that was when people realized if, if you have your own land and you're working your own land, your own garden, you're going to put your all into it because you know what you're going to get out of it, what you put in. If, if you're just going to be given something, it's really not going to help you. You know, you're, you're going to start to take it for granted and not work as hard. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to see anyone starve either. Right. I mean, if, if I was, if I had my own garden and my neighbor needed something because they didn't have it. Yeah. I would try to help them through it, but, but people are willing to work hard and do their best when they know that there's going to be something at the end to repay them and reward them for that work. If you don't have that, then why work? Should there be sales tax across the board on everything? Yeah, I mean, I would, I don't know. I mean, people talk about maybe not on food. Um, you know, there's there's some products that are taxed heavy and some that are not. And I think that that's kind of maybe the government trying to help on one thing and penalize other things. Um, I know that there's, they call them syntax, right? Where it's a uh, higher tax on things like cigarettes or alcohol, you know, that sort of uh, stuff. So um, I don't know. I mean, tax, you know, adding an extra tax is something, a way to help limit something. If you want to get less of it, it's, if it's more expensive, you probably have less people buying it. So I understand That's not it. worked for a second with cigarettes. No. No. I mean, I just talked to a guy who's actually quit smoking and uh, he <laughs> his I, wallet's probably full. <laughs> I, I think. Well, I, I asked him, I, he said he's been, I think, for like three months. And I asked him, I said, well, how much money have you saved? Have you done the math? And he said, well, let's see, like two packs a day, nine dollars and something a pack. He said, 
that's like eighteen hundred dollars. Right. Eighteen hundred dollars. Like, dang. Yeah. I mean, and and you know, so you're saving money and you're not killing yourself, which is probably good. So but, but the politicians for decades yeah. have used that. Well, we're gonna tax we don't want people smoking. We're gonna tax that more and they'll stop. It's never been the goal. No. The goal no. has always been to increase revenue because tobacco product it, it's it's one of the things that as I've dug into the vaping world, mm-hmm. which big tobacco hates yeah everyone hates politicians hate it because oh it's going to kill you uh cigarettes won't we'll tax right. those fine right. but vaping will uh, the reality is a lot of these states made agreements with the big tobacco mm-hmm. to actually get prepayments and they have borrowed against that mm. so they are required i mean they, they're obligated to collect that tax so of course they don't the states aren't really in the business of getting people off tobacco. And it's oh, there's a tobacco coalition in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, every state has one. We've got to start quit line. We're going to call the quit line. Really? Is that the goal? Uh-uh. Yeah. It's not. It's all about revenue. So the more taxes you put on there, the more income to the state. Because no one's going to stop smoking. Not unless you that. make it 100 bucks a pack. And then no. it becomes out of reach. Yeah. It totally does. And right. that's never going to happen. No. Yeah. So, and I mean, that that's true for a lot of... A lot of things, I think, and yeah, there's there's definitely been there's definitely been big government, you know, working. I mean, if if they really wanted people to be healthy, like they would get rid of soda and they would get rid of potato chips and all of these other things. I mean, there's all kind of things that make people sick, sugars and. But 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 is so. that the the responsibility of government? No, is that's it. The it is the citizens' physical health the responsibility of government. Well, it's interesting because the people who want federal government health care, that's actually going to give the federal government the ability to say, well, it's a health care issue and we're in charge of that now. So now we can mandate what's healthy for you or not. Well, didn't we see that over the last two and a half years with COVID? We have. And the, yeah. the restrictions put on by yep. a lot of government. And so if, if, people, if people want to see more government telling them what they can and can't do as far as um, all of their health care choices. I mean, if you know what they can eat, what they can drink, what they can smoke, I mean, all of these different things, right? Then, yeah, put government in charge. I mean, I want small, limited government because I don't think the government knows best. I think the government is more often than not the problem. Is it true that there's plenty of things that we have access to that is going to make us unhealthy? Um, maybe die? Sure. I mean, I know people who started drinking soda when they were young. It's like all that they ever drink. I mean, I've been to their house and there's like soda cans everywhere. And they look like they drink soda all the time <laughs> because it kind of changes you. I mean, they have this just this obesity that is weird and unnatural. And would it be better if the government said, you know what? We're going to ban that and just have everyone drink water. I'm sure people would be healthier for it. But boy, that would sure wake people up and get a lot of people voted out of office. So, well, 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 I, so they don't touch yeah. it. Well, <laughs> so. I, but I think the the real question is is whose responsibility is our own health? Ourselves. Yeah, I mean it, it. It should. It needs to be our own responsibility. You know, we see everything we're putting into our body, everything that we're eating. Now, are there things like water that? We have to have access to water, right? Well, what's coming out of our tap? What's being put into the water that's coming out of our tap? Are they putting 
uh, fluoride in the water? I mean, is fluoride something you're supposed to be ingesting? Like they say it helps, helps your teeth. Do we want to be just drinking a ton of fluoride, right? Um, should, should, well, that's interesting. Should that be banned? I don't know. I mean, because there's, you know, there's the rule of thought is you need, if you don't have fluoride in your water, your teeth aren't going to be any good. Well, where we actually were living before we moved up to this area, which was down by Beersford, um, there were, they actually found out that they had too high of levels in the water. And I know our daughter's teeth got messed up some. They call it fluoridosis or I don't know, something like that. Uh, but you could see it. Like it was, I mean, really? the teeth were like tannish. Yeah. Like weird marks on them and stuff. And it's like from too high a fluoride dosage. But fluoride has been used for all kinds of questionable things in the past. And there's a difference between having some on your teeth at a dentist's office versus like ingesting it. And so, you know, I don't know. We have concern about that. We put a Culligan water, <laughs> water <laughs> thing in. We, we filter our own water. Like if, if we want to, if we want our kids to get fluoride, we can have it in their toothpaste or whatever. We can make that choice, but just ingesting it. I don't know. I mean, so there's, there's things that are like that, that, okay, we want clean water, right? We, but you know, we don't want the government to decide that we need certain medications and just to put it in our water. Mm. Right. So, um, or vaccinations that they just put, I mean, there's, so there's things like that, but then there's things like Twinkies at the gas station that, yep, maybe, maybe you should think before you just put that in your mouth. Now, is it okay to have some Twinkies once in a while? Probably it's fine. Right. But maybe I, I, some people I, would say no. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I, I think that, uh, we all have that personal responsibility for ourselves and then we should have to, we can't eat ourselves into, uh, horrible health and then expect other people to have to pick up the tab, which is right now what's happening in the healthcare system. Uh, there's a reason that people who are buying insurance for their own healthcare, it's so expensive. I mean, it's like crazy expensive. And when the government got involved in healthcare, and obviously there's a ton of people who don't really pay for their health coverage, right? So they go into the doctor, they're on Medicaid or whatever, and they're going to be treated and given medical care because they have that. And that's fine. But what happens is the doctor, the healthcare workers, the doctors, uh, my wife used to work at a dentist's office and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even write it up because it was so hard to get reimbursed for the stuff that they were doing. So they would just, they would just kind of skip it and they would just end up charging more to the people who were actually who paying. Were paying. Right. And so uh, private insurance company, right? If you have private insurance, and you walk into the doctor's office and you get treatment and you go up to pay, they want to know who your insurance is. They're going to bill your insurance. Okay. If you, and if you look at how much they're charging your insurance, it's more than if you just go up and say, I'm self-pay, I'm paying with cash, right? Here it is. You're going to pay a lot less. So the insurance companies are getting charged more. So the insurance company, because they're getting a lot of the other healthcare costs passed on to them. So, uh, is health insurance set up properly oh i don't think anyone could say that i mean what, what should health insurance be what would a perfect world look like i think if if people were more had a more pay for themselves mm -hmm. right so they they took on the risk they knew like okay uh this is a lifestyle i'm living right if i get this i'm gonna have to go to the doctor because this is probably gonna happen right so i'm not exercising my I don't know, my back is not going to have muscle tone. I'm going to have back issues. I might need back surgery. If you knew that 
and you knew that you were going to have to be the one paying for it if you went in instead of your employer's insurance program that they have for you, uh, you'd probably take it a little more serious and exercise yourself and do some of that. Um, try to watch what you're eating. Um, and and if if the healthcare system would say, okay, well, this is this is what it's going to cost to do this, right? If you can pay it, we will do this for you. If you can't, you're going to have to try to raise, get money raised or go to some kind of charity. If, if that were the options, people would take it a lot more serious. But what else would happen? Well, they wouldn't be passing on other people's health care costs to the people that mm-hmm. could actually pay. So that would actually lower the cost of health care for everybody. But the, when the government steps in and says, everyone is guaranteed health care, right? So if you walk into the ER, whether you have insurance or money or anything, you're going to get treatment. Right, so if, if you're a gangbanger from Chicago, should yeah. you, at, in an emergency level though, should you expect to at least be able to get? Oh, I think so. Triage. Yeah, I think there needs to be some kind of emergency coverage op- option. I mean, I, you know, because how long does it even take to find out? Right. I mean, it, there, there's there's time limits on. If you're a gunshot victim, that's a lot different than you might need back surgery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but if yeah, so if you go into the the hospital in Chicago, you're a gunshot victim. I don't expect them to try to wake you up and ask you if you can pay. Right? Excuse me, sir. Do you have valid insurance? Yeah, exactly. So I think there needs to be uh, a balance there. But I think that if we have more of that, the more people are forced to be personally responsible for themselves, the better it will be for everyone. Mm-hmm. And the more that the government tries to step in and take care of everybody, the more power and the more control that they're going to have over us. And do we really want to give that power and control to them? I don't. I, I think the government generally, I mentioned it earlier to you in conversation, but I think the government has like the opposite of the Midas touch. Like everything they touch <laughs> tends to turn to crap. And, and uh, which is why I want small limited government. That's what the founding fathers envisioned. Uh, that's why they wrote the constitution and the, dec- the bill of rights, the way that they wrote it. Um, it's, it's a, it's a charter of negative liberties, right? Against the government. They don't want the government to be able to step in and force this or dictate that. I mean, that's why they, that's why they wrote it. That's why they created this, this country and wanted to separate from England. Haven't we wandered down the road quite a bit away from that though? And are, and are we too far down to like, cause if, if, if what you're saying is like the perfect world where really all of these are limits on government. So the whole point is to rein in, the governing class, let's say, mm-hmm. to keep them back, to pull, keep them at bay. Yep. Um, there's a lot of those horses that are out already running. Is, How, it, is it possible to pull that back? Especially after, or in the era, we'll call it, of uh, the COVID controls that we saw over the last two and a half years. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect example, right? So look how quickly, out because of this, fear right over this pandemic which was i mean we were told in the beginning it was going to be i mean the the numbers they were talking were astronomical well, south dakota was supposed to lose three hundred thousand people yeah dead. and we didn't come anywhere close to that right so uh hospitals were supposed to be overrun they had the big the big navy hospital ships off the east coast i mean they were they were doing everything to get prepared um i don't think the hospital ship ever saw any, yeah, well, right anyone so so yeah. here's what i wonder then is it appropriate because what we hear from politicians 
and we just had Governor Noman a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to uh, I talked to Steve Howgard, who is running for governor also here in South Dakota. Uh, his uh, Scott Jensen, uh, candidate for governor in Minnesota. Um, with the information or intel, whatever it is that they claim to have been running off of, mm-hmm. is it ever appropriate for a government? Assuming the the predictions are being like that's what you're being told, like mm-hmm. your intel officers are like, here's what we see. Is it ever appropriate for a government to say, based on this information, holy cow, we're all going to die. We got to do something drastic. Is that appropriate? What do you think? <laughs> I'm asking you. I'm not running for your office. <laughs> well, in my opinion, no. I mean, I think that the government, because they could use that, they could constantly use it. Now where they're talking about monkeypox, and I mean, if if that works to mm-hmm. take away our rights and freedoms, then they're just going to keep finding new things to scare us about. Uh, I mean, they've already done it with the hole in the ozone layer. Do you remember the hole in the ozone layer? I do. Layer? No yeah. more Aquanet. So, yeah. So, right, that was... When I was in high school, which is really dating me now, it's gonna make me feel old. When I was in high school, that was like the big thing. I remember the girls that had all the hairspray oh, yeah. and stuff, mm-hmm. right? They had to stop because if they didn't stop using hairspray, then they were accused of not caring about the hole in the ozone layer because they were told that that was what was causing it. <laughs> and and so no more high hair with the big bouffant things in the front and the flips and and so uh, when they did that. That was that was the rule of thumb. That was what you were told, and they would shame people that didn't go along with. Because I mean, they had us thinking we were going to all be currently in today's world wearing like these special suits to block the sun rays and all of that. Uh, whatever happened to the hole in the ozone layer? Did you ever hear? <laughs> no, it fell off. It dropped off. It dropped off. Yeah. They actually found out that the hole in the ozone layer has actually always been there, kind of opening and closing, like a cyclical thing. They never came back and apologized for uh, for leading us down that path and scaring everybody and making us all think that it was going to be this doom and gloom, right? So um, so that just kind of went away, right? Just got swept under the rug, like, oh. And uh, then they had they came out with global warming, which... They had the the movie that Al Gore put out, whatever. It was inconvenient, uh, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, an inconvenient truth, right? They put it out. There weren't supposed to be any ice caps, any polar ice caps. In 2010. Yep, in 2010. Well, that didn't come true either. Uh, or maybe 12. Maybe it was 12. And actually, before all of this, they talked about the... Um, all of the, the you know, the, the next ice age coming, the impending ice age, and, well, that didn't happen. They told us that the rainforests, I remember going to a Natural Museum of History, and they had a big map of South America, and they showed, like, where the rainforest currently is and, like, how fast it's disappearing, and in, like, 10 years it was going to all be gone, mm-hmm. the whole rainforest, everything. And what are we going to do? Because we're not going to have oxygen from the rainforest, we're all going to die. And no, rainforest is still there. I mean, yeah, there's been logging and there's been things happening that, you know, I don't know that it's good. I mean, I think there needs to be regulation on how much we're taking from our environment, just like hunting laws here in South Dakota. Um, you know, there's people that study it and say, okay, we feel like this the system can support this amount of harvest and it'll recover annually and it'll be good the next year again. So I think that kind of thing needs to happen. But it's we're constantly being 
sold a line that it's doom and gloom unless we turn to government and government steps in, diverts all of our co- our constitutional rights and privileges, and um, and steps in and saves the day. And that's and and that's always the excuse. But you know, all you have to do is pretty much for any issue that's going on, any problem in our country, is look at the people their intentions for power and control. They want power and control over us. And they don't like that we have these rights because it spells it out in the Declaration of Independence. These rights don't come from government. They don't come from man. They come from God. So we have God-given rights. And what what rights God has given us, man can't take away. Man doesn't have a right to take it away. And there's plenty of countries in the world where that's happened. And there's a reason why our founders had this great utopian vision to try to make something better here for the people in this country. It's why they were willing to fight and die and risk their lives. I mean, what what they signed with the Declaration of Independence was considered treason, and they would be executed if they were caught, right? And uh, a lot of them did die from from that. So in the Revolutionary War, um, they, you know, there's a reason that they knew it was worth fighting for because freedom is always worth fighting for. Once, once it's gone, you're not going to get it back in any kind of peaceful way. And so um, just like with the COVID stuff and a lot of the other things going on, there's a constant push. And there's always these great reasons that they give us why they need to step in and save us from ourselves. Um, but then you look at their actual intentions and, yeah, I don't think history has proven that that's the case. So, Should there be term limits? Absolutely. Across the board? As far as? Every every position? Oh, yeah. I think so. I mean, we don't need 40-year politicians. We don't need people making a career out of being a politician. Um, they're the people that really give people that actually decide to run for office a bad name. I mean, it's it's a big vulnerability when you decide to run for a political office. You're putting yourself out there. You're putting your positions out there. You're taking a big risk doing that. And so uh, people that maybe only knew me because of my artwork, right? Didn't really maybe know that much about where I stood on different issues. Yeah, I might alienate some people by taking a stand, but I I believe that for for my kids' sake, for the direction of our state and our country, people need to stand up. People need to stand up and not be afraid to speak their mind and try to try to work to make things better for everybody, not just for my family and my children, but you and yours. So um, because of the speed in which, and I say speed, uh, kind of in the opposite sense uh, of, of government, mm-hmm. you know, things happen very slowly yep. and it's supposed to be a deliberative process. Yeah. The lawmaking process, because that's slow, should there, I mean, should there be a bigger window of time when you could be in that position to actually get something done? Cause I mean, if your term limits are, are tight enough. Yeah. You get there, you just kind of figure out what's going on, and then all of a sudden you're out. You have no other option. So should there be like a certain hmm. length of time just to allow you to acclimate? And That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been in there yet. So I guess I guess I would, if I end up getting in, I'll kind of have a better sense for that. I actually heard someone say, um, they were talking about how ineffective that they think like people might be in office. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what does effective mean? Right. So like who's defining what that means? Because if bringing a whole bunch of bills to try to get passed and actually getting them passed means effective, 
well, there's a lot of legislation that's not good. And what kind of deals are you making in order to get your bills passed? Right. Ooh. So those should, political games. Yeah. Should there be a limit on the number of bills that can be introduced? And maybe there is. Yeah. And I don't know about. But should there be? I guess I don't know. I mean, I don't know that. I don't know that there's really a reason that it should be limited. I mean, the way that the system works, if if there, let's say there you had you had one guy didn't bring up any bills or maybe only a couple and they were terrible, but then you had someone that was really brilliant. They had five or six or 10, I don't know. And they brought them up if they were really good and they got the support of the entire legislature and then passed the Senate and the governor signed it. I don't know that there should be a problem with that. Um, but I do have a problem with people that, that run for the wrong reasons, run for office for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, my reason for running was they asked me, right. They thought I would be good. I thought about it. And because of my kids, it's like, okay, I'll try it. I'll throw my hat in the ring. Um, yeah, I'm exposed kind of in doing that, but I'm just trying to do what's right. Uh, but then I've talked to other people where they want, they actually crave the power. Hmm. And I think that is like, we do not want anyone that craves political power. Um, I heard one guy describe it like a drug. And I just think like, whoa. I mean, so so does that imply that there is some sort of uh, elite class you be, you get into, and you kind of you kind of get I, privileges that no one else gets? Well, I mean, I suppose there's some of that. You know, they, I think people like the attention. Mm -hmm. They like feeling important. Maybe they like the power and control that they have. Um, maybe they like telling people that they're representative. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure that there's. All of that. I mean, you know, I've heard people say that, oh, this has been a dream of mine. And since I was young, I mean, that kind of thing. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is your dream to run for political <laughs> office. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I if I didn't have kids, I would have just not even done it. I would have said no. But, I, you know, I I worry about them. That's why I'm running. Um, I don't I don't need I mean, it's not a high paying job. Right. It pays like thirteen thousand dollars for like nine <laughs> weeks. Like. I mean, I could make that in like a week and a half, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 terrible. So, so th there's no money reward. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people that try to bribe politicians, like lobbyists. I don't know. I haven't been there yet to see exactly myself. I know that happens on the national level. You have all these people that get into office; they're worth this much, and then, like, 30 years later, they're worth millions and millions of dollars, and the the job doesn't pay enough to give them that much money. So, where did it all come from? What kind of deals were they making that they brought in all of that money? Uh, people worried about Trump and all of the money that he had when he came into office. He actually left with less money, um, and a ton of people hated him, right? He didn't have that before. Nobody really knew where he stood politically. So he put himself out there. He he wasn't trying to become a career politician. Um, and so, you know, it's not like something that I think that people should try to go into to make money, but there are people who do. And the other thing is, uh, uh, as far as the, uh, people getting into office, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who, who want the notoriety and the fame. They want to be able to be on TV shows and talk shows and be asked questions and feel important answering the questions. Um, I don't know. For for me, I mean, I've if if anyone is interested. So if you want to see my artwork, uh, if you go to my website www.adamgrim.com, two M's in Grimm, uh, 
Grim Reaper. Yeah, that's actually what my friends in high school <laughs> called me, the Grim Reaper. Uh, but you can go and see my artwork. Uh, I was also actually in uh, an actual Halloween, Hollywood, Hollyweird, Hollyweird mm, movie. Probably. Yeah, a Hollywood movie. Um, it's called The Million Dollar Duck. And it's interesting because I actually didn't believe it when they even called me about being in this movie. They want to do a movie about the federal duck stamp competition and about the artists that are entering it. Um, it ended up being filmed. I was in it. It got aired at a film festival. Uh, Lionsgate, the the big movie company mm-hmm. Lionsgate, saw it and wanted it. And so did Animal Planet. Uh, Discovery Communications is the umbrella group. But they both wanted the movie. They ended up doing a joint acquisition of the film, which made headlines too, just because that's not done very often. Uh, but yeah, when the movie comes on, it's the whole big Lionsgate thing. And so, and I've had plenty of publicity just from that film, uh, aside from a lot of the other artwork stuff. It's actually funny. I, If you Google Adam Grimm, it'll actually come up uh, film actor. And it's like- <laughs> You have an IMDb? Yeah, I do. <laughs> nice. I actually do. But it was, it was ridiculous because it's like, okay- I spent my whole life being an artist. It should say artist, mm. right? And the other thing is, is I wasn't acting in the film, so so that's really wrong too. So it's just kind of a weird thing. But um, yeah, so no, now, I now we'll add politician. Yeah, no, or, or, no. or, or want to be politician. <laughs> See, but I don't even want to be a politician. That's the thing. Like I, I wanna, I've seen your signs. I I have signs out there. I you know, there's things you have to do mm-hmm. if you're actually going to try to win, and. Yeah, I had some people that said, okay, you're going to want to get at least like this many signs of this size and this many of this size, and you're going to have to send out mailers and have cards printed, like all of this stuff. And I mean, it's not that hard to do because I'm I'm good at using Photoshop. I use it with my business a lot. You so, do your own branding? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's not hard to do. Um, so, I mean, I can do it, but it's just weird. It's it's weird. Like, I, I could never imagine seeing a sign. <laughs> with your name on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. no, no, there's that too. But- I could not imagine really seeing a sign, not knowing who to vote for, and thinking, "Oh, that looks good. That, that looks good. Yep. That's got a name on of someone." I, I, I've seen some signs with that name, but I guess as far as like getting your name out there, people mm-hmm. seeing it, knowing, "Oh, there's other people actually supporting this person," so this is maybe someone I should look at and maybe consider getting behind. I mean, you said you saw my name on a sign, mm-hmm. so there you go. I guess it does actually work to get your name out there, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, for myself, for voting. I want to know who are the people running, where do they stand on the issues, um, do I align with their their issues, you know, their positions on these issues? If I if I if they do, I don't care what they look like, I don't care what gender they are, what race they are. Uh, if if I think they're good on the issues, I'm going to vote for them. And so that's kind of what I would always want to know. So that's what I tried to put out there with my uh, with the signs, with the mailers. I try to let people actually know where I actually stand on the issues because. Not everyone's doing that. So, um, yeah, I feel like if people know where I stand, they agree with me, that'll probably make them more likely to vote for me as opposed to just like a question mark. <laughs> so should there be restrictions on guns? Uh, you know, I think that if it's a gun that you can carry, no. I, I think that when you're talking like a tank or something like that, like a gun you can drive around, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so, But why? But why? No, what, yeah, why? Why? Why would that oh. be an acceptable restriction? What tanks? Sure, sure. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's the the Constitution was written for guns that people can carry, 
is what it's supposed to be. Well, there, so, there was one citizen, I can't remember the name, but he had, was uh, Cassius Clay, I think, actually? Hmm. Uh, he had a cannon and would fire it at the <laughs> government when they tried to come on his property. Get away from here. Oh, well, I don't know. I guess, I mean, <laughs> that's a big gun. I don't know. So, I mean, as far as the other guns go, I don't think so. I think that uh, our Second Amendment was written the way it's written for a reason. There are actually people talk about, well, the guns back then were different. Well, they actually had some repeating type firearms at the time. Um, so it was electricity that was different. Uh, communication was different. A lot, a lot of things were different. Oh, sure. That still fall under uh, the the way, like First Amendment, you know. All, yeah. You know, well, freedom of blogs, speech. Blogs, all that stuff. Well, yep. blogs weren't around. No. Back then. No, Podcasting but, wasn't around. Right. So so we have to be, we have to, that's why we have to have good Supreme Court justices. They have to be able to do, look at the Constitution, right, and interpret what was intended with the way it was written, right? So if you have a military that has all of these crazy technology things, what what the citizens have are like nothing compared to that, right? They wanted a citizenship that was capable of throwing off a tyrannical government. Well, that's a fascinating so, thought then. So does that mean that the citizenry in today's society should have equal uh, capable weaponry than, I think, the, than the military? I think as far as guns that you can have and carry, yes. I think that as far as, and I don't, I'm, I know that they have like, well, you can't have fully automatic guns. I don't know that that really is a an issue for me. Um, you know, when when you look at like a like a, the school shooting that happened, mm-hmm. uh, there's a reason that the military has changed. So they had fully automatic machine guns, right? Then they actually had it where you could set it on like semi machine, right? So it would fire maybe three shots fast burst, and then stop, yeah. like a burst mode, right? And so when you have that, you go through way less ammunition. You're more accurate with your ammunition. Um, the military figured that out real quick because they were burning through so many rounds. And so well, they're like, it looks okay. cool in the movies. Oh, it looks great. Yeah, Rambo yeah. standing there mm-hmm. just mowing down. Every, right. right. But you actually end up wasting a ton of ammo, missing a lot, mm-hmm. and then you have to reload, and you're vulnerable in that time. So, um, Now, I don't recall very often when I've watched these movies, they reload. Yeah. Unless it is good for the story. They, right. Well, or, or they – I just I was just watching – my kids like Walker, Texas Ranger, and yeah. – there was a, I forget who it was in the show, but yeah, walking along with a shotgun, right? And gets right up on the bad guy and then works the action. Right. So you hear that, <laughs> sh- sh- right? And it's like, okay, shouldn't you have already had a shell chambered and ready to go? Like, I mean, so you just get that kind of stuff. Movies and Hollywood, it's, it's goofy. But um, I mean, I've myself, I, I've been, I've grown, grown up hunting. I've been around guns my entire life. Um I was taught gun safety from my father. Uh, you know, I, I think that the families that mostly have problems with guns are the families where the kids weren't brought up around them and taught proper use, proper safety, what the guns can really do, what they're so, capable of. So should they be kind of restricted from accessing them then because they don't have actual knowledge? No, I don't think anyone should be restricted the ability to defend themselves. So, I mean, if you're if you're a woman who... Let's say you're a young girl. You were brought up in this family that maybe was very leftist, very anti-gun. You get into an abusive relationship, and you're really fearful for your life. I think you should be able to go and purchase a gun if you decide you want to do that. Um, I think you should be. I think you should seek out someone to teach you how to properly use it, right? And what's what's safe and what's not. Um, 
how to correctly use the firearm so that you're you're comfortable with it because in those situations i mean we've seen the police shooting situations where the police and the bad guy are standing like two feet away shooting at each other and no one's even hit at the end right so in those high stress situations you want to be really familiar with the gun you have uh but do i think that's necessary no i mean i think the reason our founding fathers wrote that they believed everyone should have the right to defend themselves with with deadly force if necessary with a firearm um have has gun talk technology advanced and changed yes um but who who is going to have those guns regardless right the people that don't care about the law so if people can go just like this crazy shooter i don't know where he even got his guns right he could have stolen them i mean we have no idea i don't know if they found out yet yeah they they bought them according to the reporting he purchased them a week or so prior yeah so which which means he purchased them legally yep with a background check and passed yeah yeah which i don't know how so i mean so, so the question i wonder is in that you know the the call again is for background checks Oh yeah. So what, so what good do they do if? It, yeah. Well, there's been a number of people when that you're, have passed when you're background deranged, checks. Yep. You can you can get by with some things. And if, and if you can't, right? There's always the option of breaking into a house. I mean, most homes in the United States, I think it's most homes, have at least a firearm in the house. Um, I mean, it's there's like what 400 million guns in the United States or something like that. So there's there's a lot of guns out there. And a lot of people don't keep them locked up because just like you might need a fire extinguisher real fast, you don't want to have to try to open a safe to get to it. You have to have quick access. You know, if you're hearing some kind of noise in the middle of the night, someone's breaking into your home, you don't want to have to try to go to your basement or wherever you keep your safe and open the safe. So, um, so yeah, I mean, most people don't lock up their guns when they leave their house. They're in a closet, in a drawer, somewhere close, maybe where they sleep. People know that. Criminals know that. They break into cars. They break. So there's a whole black market of guns um, where people can just buy the guns. So if, if, criminal, if criminals, people that don't care about the law, can get guns that easily, then why should law-abiding citizens not be able to get guns easily? Like if, if, if someone – that's why the waiting period thing and – I mean, well, you might die in the time that you're waiting. You know, and we can rely on police, right? Just like at this, these schools, they're talking about, well, you know, the – we need the police to be able to get there or have a plan. Um, maybe even have a police officer in the school. What happens if a guy comes in, doesn't care about the law, maybe breaks through whatever the door shoots, the police officer. And now he's just in there, right? Well, the police might come, but where are the police? They're, they're minutes away, right? They're, they're coming, but they're minutes away. And just like at this Texas school shooting, they stood outside. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were parents that were discussing if they should just go in because the police weren't going in and being held back by the police yeah so you know what in handcuffs some of them people don't like the idea of the solution right but really the solution is people should there should be no gun-free zones right if if i was going to go try to do a commit some mass genocide and which is not by the way i'm not right but if i was going to once you go to a gun-free zone the, the movie theater shooting that happened. Colorado. Yeah, he chose that for that reason, mm-hmm. right? Why wouldn't you? Of course. If you thought, oh, there's not going to be anyone else in there with a gun, that's probably a good idea. Um, you're, you know, I just watched uh, not that long ago, there was a guy that went into a church and I think got a gun out and started shooting at people. He was shot 
dead oh, by Texas, yeah. yeah by mm-hmm. the uh, their fellow parishioners um of that church there's there was actually i just watched a video of a guy that tried to rob a concealed carry class <laughs> and they called clearly the police. didn't do any research they right i mean they called the police they 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 kind of took the guy into custody well then they gave him to the police officers there was two police officers they were about to handcuff the guy and he pulls a screwdriver out and starts stabbing the police officers right uh the concealed carry class people seeing this, they of course all drew their guns and shot him. They all shot him. He was shot by everyone in the class, and the guy died. I mean, you know, like it's not that smart. So, if if teachers were able to have guns, right, in the in the classrooms, like concealed carry, right, they could go through some training that I would have no problem with that. Um, if they want to be screened psychologically or something, but. You know, I think that's fine. But again, who's doing that kind of screening, right? Well, then you're giving that over to the government, and the government could decide uh, you're some extremist. We we aren't going to let you have it. So, so I think people should be able to have firearms. I think there's no problem with that. We have tons of laws. You you can't just shoot someone for no reason, right? We, what? Yeah, no. It's you're not even allowed to do school shootings. That's that's against the law. So. But clearly that's not known by everyone. But but the people who look at this, right, they say, okay, well, what do we need? We need to effectively turn the schools into a prison. We need to uh, have all of these locks, these doors, everything has to be locked. We have to have maybe metal detectors. We have to have security, you know, armed security guards. Uh, I mean, the only thing missing is bars on the doors and windows and a barbed wire, razor razor wire. wire fence, right? And it's like, well... I didn't have that when I was in school. Mm. We didn't have school shootings when I was young. I like never heard about it. I'm not saying that there weren't some things. I I actually heard the the worst tragedy in a school was a was a bombing that happened. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's when you have evil in our world, and there's plenty. There's always been evil, uh, but you have you have a complete moral depravity that is is almost like being promoted in our society. And I think that people that want to get more power and control actually can encourage it because they know that, well, one of the founding fathers said that when you have, when people that don't have morality have more of a need for masters. Mm -hmm. And so that was their argument why we need to have morality. Um, I think other people look at that as an instruction manual, like, okay, well, if we can take away morality, uh, break up the family, um, scare people we can we can basically take over and it won't take that long and i don't know i look at the world today and the state of everything and i think yeah there's some serious problems with what's going on so you brought up education or the schools let's talk about education for a minute sure um is education the government's responsibility well there's in the constitution they have in there about well in our state constitution about uh overseeing the education of youth. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Right? So we're told, okay, parents aren't good enough. Parents don't need to be the ones educating the youth. And Well, it, but sorry, <clears throat> it, is it that that they don't need to or they don't have time? Well, if it depends on people's priorities, I think. So, I'm a homeschooling family. Um we homeschool our four kids. We have made a ton of sacrifices to do that. And my wife could have a really good job. She's she's smarter than I am, I think. So I try to tell her she should run <laughs> for office. But um, she's excellent at teaching our children. Um, you don't even have to be that smart 
I mean, honestly, like if you think you're not smart enough, I'm sure you're fine. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely smart enough. <laughs> so right. first off, you've made it through an hour. Good job. Right. Good job. So no, but if, if you are, if, if you are someone that's considering it for whatever reason, know that there are tons of, of resources, tons of online resources, tons of curriculum resources. And, you know, one of the big bonuses is, is you actually get the answer key, which just like Alex Trebek on Jeopardy made him sound so brilliant because he was holding the card with the answer. You just had to know how to pronounce it, right? So, um, so don't worry, he had a pronunciation. List I'm sure there. he had that too. Yeah, it's it's just funny when he would when he would. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the correct, correct answer is this, and yeah. So you can you can definitely seem a lot smarter than you are when you have the answer key. But teaching your children, you know, we we decided when we saw the way things were going okay, is this something we really want to just turn over Mm -hmm. to other people? Well, we decided it wasn't. And we decided to try this. My wife wanted to take it upon herself to to try to do it. And I was 100% behind her. Um, And yeah, I mean, we've spent a ton of money on books and curriculum, uh, but we have that control over what our children are learning and reading. And for me, when I look at what is more important, right? So maybe maybe someone can't do it because uh, their spouse, you know, both them and their spouse have a job, or maybe they're divorced and they just have a they have a job they're trying to make ends meet. Well, there's plenty of people on welfare with iPhones and fancy fancy devices, big screen TVs, right? It's all about your priorities and what is your priority? What's your most important assets in your life? Well, I would argue that there's nothing more important than our children. I mean, we're not going to leave anything behind that's more important than them. And so their education, at least for our family, is of the utmost importance. And I know plenty of people who sent their kids away to, to school, uh, taught by, I'm sure, really well-intentioned teachers. Uh, their kids, they, they grew up and they found out that they didn't really know their kids. They didn't know where some of their views came from, uh, their ideas. And, but, you know, when you're turning your children over for eight hours or nine hours, or whatever it is a day to other people, I mean, they're the ones raising your children and, and now they're doing even more lunch programs and breakfasts. I don't know. They're, it's like, there are all these food things too now. Um, yeah. I mean, it, for us, it's like, you know, we're just going to raise our own children. We're, we're going to try to do a good job, teach yeah. them how we see fit and try to make them responsible people. What did the school shutdowns that happened across the country for COVID. What did that reveal? Or or did it, because it shined, shined a light on a lot of things. You know, when people yep. all of a sudden didn't go to work, they mm-hmm. had time to start looking at stuff. What, what did it reveal or show about our current system? Well, something that I think is a good ex- explanation is my wife used to work at a daycare and she would have parents bring their kids in even though they had the day off. So they would bring them in during their work week too. But then if they had a day off, they would bring them in because they had things they were they wanted to go do. They didn't they didn't want to be burdened with their children there and it's like they didn't even know how to be around their children, right? They it was just a this whole extra thing that they weren't used to and they just didn't want to have the hassle. And so my wife had them at this daycare and she said it was like the saddest thing. Like they they should be kids should be with their parents, right? The kids need that influence 
no one's going to care about your kids more than you care about them. And um, are there some families out there that have issues? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, you know, maybe maybe that family's not the best for that child, and that's a whole different issue. But, uh, but just putting that responsibility onto other people to raise your children, I think that is something that if you really care, you can find a way. I mean, even if you have to make sacrifices, um, you you know, maybe you don't get to buy all the things you want to buy or do all the things you want to do uh, because you don't have the money because someone has to stay home with those kids. Someone has to stay home and raise those kids. And that's something that we have decided we want to do. The, the COVID thing that you mentioned, yeah, I think that that, I think that woke a lot of people up because what was the true in interest, intention. I mean, I don't know. I, the way I look at it, if I don't think that that was really because they were worried about the kids. I think that they wanted to maybe add burdens to the parents. Uh, you know, so your, your work is shut down or maybe it's not right. Maybe like South Dakota didn't really shut down. So you, maybe people, both parents were still able to go work. Well, if your kid isn't in school now, what are you going to do with them? And so I feel like there may have been some other motives going on to try to almost punish people who weren't locking down by forcing them to have to stay with their kids and not being able to just take their kids somewhere and drop them off. But it may have actually had some, somewhat of the opposite effect because I think a lot of people started homeschooling because they didn't want their kids to just miss out on education. So they started and then they're like, you know what? This is actually not that bad. This is maybe actually kind of good. So I think it maybe woke some people up that hadn't thought about it before in the same way. And people started to discover that if I'm teaching the children, I have all of this authority, right? No one's going to be teaching them about things that I disagree with politically or um, I'm just in general. I don't know. There's, there's people have a lot of different opinions. If, if you're sending your kid to someone else to be taught, they're probably going to be taught someone else's opinions. And that's just the nature of it. So should it be, you know, in, in most states you have to, if you don't have to let them know, sometimes you have to ask permission to homeschool your children. Mm -hmm. Should there be a, uh, a communication barrier that's required in order to choose to homeschool? I mean, I think maybe very limited. I, you don't want kids just falling through the cracks because their parents are lazy and don't feel like doing anything with them. Um, well, okay, yeah. but does that fall back on, like, does that then solidify the fact that it is government's responsibility to educate the children? No, I don't think so. Or, I mean, or, or is it actually I, the responsibility of government? I think it's the responsibility maybe of the government to make sure that children are getting an education, right, in some way. I mean, I, I don't think you can... But doesn't that require government inspectors to then verify everything? Yeah, you could argue that. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. I don't know. I I don't want to see kids fall through the crack. Whose responsibility it is? Maybe maybe it should be like the communities. Like if someone sees something, they say something. Maybe it should be more of that sort of a situation. Um, but then, yeah, who is the person determining whether or not the children's being educated properly, right? And so their, And what's their motive? And what's their motive? So if, right, if, if they haven't been taught about X, Y, and Z, they could try to say, well, then they're not being properly educated. Mm -hmm. And then they could try to take your kids away or anything else. And we don't want that either. Um, but I, I also don't want to see someone that doesn't have any care about their children and 
isn't working to educate them or taking them to anywhere to be educated. Um, and I, but I think that having big government overseeing it is, is not a good thing. There's, uh, it's interesting that if you look at back when the early Americans were here, and I forget who it was, I want to say it was someone from France that came, visited the United States. It wasn't really the United States at the time, I don't think, but it was like the colonies. And he was so shocked how educated everyone was because there were no central school systems set up, but the people were like virtually everybody could read, right? There was almost no one that was illiterate. And if you look back at, I mean, even just go back to the civil war, which you're talking mid 1800s, right? My grandfather was a huge collector of civil war artifacts. And he had all of these letters from Johnson's Island, which was like a prison camp out on Lake Erie for civil war uh, soldiers. And these letters were so beautifully written. The mm. penmanship, it, I looked at it. And it's like, <laughs> my penmanship is terrible, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> what happened? And but their penmanship is so good. Uh, if 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 anyone wants to, they could. I'm sure Google Civil War letters, and the probably images will come up on the image mm-hmm. search. Look at the penmanship. Look at the way that things were written. I mean, these were not illiterate people. They didn't have huge government schools with thousands of dollars per student. Uh, each kid gets their own iPad or tablet of some sort. They didn't have that, but these people were not dumb people without it. And so when when I look at the situation in the school system, is it a money issue? You know, do we need to put more money into it? You know, do, do teachers need to get more pay? I mean, do they do we need to have bigger, better schools, fancier gyms? I mean, there's it's a it's like an industry. Do the success markers need to be reevaluated? Well, again, it goes back to who's determining what those success mm-hmm. markers are. I mean, yeah, I, I think that there are, if you look at China, right, the things that they're focusing on, math, science, I mean, they are putting a ton of time into these subjects because they know these are critical for the the society to be successful. Um, I don't know. I mean, I went to an art college, right? So <laughs> what did I get? What was I being taught <laughs> there? Uh Obviously, my job is not critical for society. Yeah, I, I, and I think someone could argue that. Um, but I wasn't reliant really on them for my education. Mm-hmm. So when I went to the art college, I had all these classes, these different subjects I was required to take um, in order to get a certain amount of credits and all. I mean, the whole system, right? And it was all very expensive. I had a good scholarship to the school, but I felt like I'm being taught by people that aren't capable of doing art for a career and am I why am I paying so much money to people who aren't capable of really teaching me what I really need to know mm. to continue and so I I complained to my parents about it I told them I felt like I was putting it I mean I was paying for it myself I didn't have I don't come from some rich background uh, I was actually working as an artist selling my artwork to pay to go to art college and I felt like I wasn't really getting much out of it. And so I was looking to just leave and do my own thing and try to be successful that way. Uh, my parents were not supportive. They said I had a good scholarship there and they don't want me to end up living in their basement as some 40 year old starving artist, which I totally <laughs> you need to get. Pick a career you can make some money at, kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they said, well, we would only support it if your decision, if 
I don't know if you were to like win the federal duck stamp contest, which is for those that don't know, that's the biggest wildlife art competition in the world anywhere. Uh, it's like winning American Idol or something like that. So um, I felt, well, here I am 20 years old at this art college. I guess I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but then the next year I actually won the federal duck stamp and I left and all the professors who gave me a hard time at the college because I was doing realism artwork and I liked painting waterfowl, which they didn't, they didn't understand what, what the desire was and why I'd want to do that kind of art. And who cares if you win some stamp? Well, when I won the federal duck stamp and I became the youngest to ever win it, they all found out why, why it mattered. Why it mattered. <laughs> so those of you that don't know, adamgrim.com, if you go check it out. Yeah. Um, so Adam was kind enough to bring an original here to show me. Um, and it's kind of incredible. When you look at the, the pile of work that this guy has done, and it's, it's insane. It's the stuff that you, it's like perfect imagination on canvas. It's what you think the perfect shot. So you're down, the sun's setting, and there's duck flying into the water. All the details are there, down to like an empty snail shell yeah. on the ground. It's fascinating. I put um, all of that work in and plan it all out. It is a ton of work to do. but It's incredible. The end result is mind-blowing. I am, yeah, I, Thank you. mostly speechless because it's fascinating. But when, when that painting is done and I stand back and it's like, there <laughs> like I do you know like you know okay yeah that, that was the last yeah people always ask bit. me like well how do you know when a painting is done I'm like when I don't really see anything else I want to do <laughs> I don't know like I don't feel like it's that complicated but you always hear about that as when people talk about art like well the hard thing is knowing when it's done it's like mm. not really no I mean after I've been staring at it for like two months and I was like okay everything I really felt like I needed to have in here is in here and paint it to the level I want it to be at that's it and yes, yeah, sometimes I'll put a painting aside for a couple of weeks and I'll go back and I'll look at it again and just and make then sure. you'll see. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. I'll see something like, yeah, maybe I should do this. You know, that's bugging me a little bit now. And and I'll look at a painting in reverse in a mirror. Mm -hmm. um, anyone that's doing any kind of visual. That is actually a very cool way yeah, to do it. Anyone ever doing any kind of visual thing, if you reverse something in the mirror, it gives you a whole fresh perspective. You would think it wouldn't because it's like the same thing, just mm -hmm. in reverse. But you'll notice if something is weighted poorly or so like when you're because your ability to create light is fascinating thank um, you and because it, it all falls properly yeah so flipping that probably just glaringly shows you any flaws in that right you pick it up like right away mm -hmm. and i've talked with carvers who carve beautiful sculptures that they say they do the same thing mm -hmm. which is really interesting because it's even though we're working in totally different mediums uh so almost any visual thing i would say it would work for um and so yeah no it's really interesting uh in order to paint light, you have to understand light. In yeah. order to draw perspective, you have to understand perspective. Like there's there's so much understanding that has to go into into the visual uh, explanation that you're creating. Anything that isn't accurate, people will will recognize that it's wrong. They maybe won't know why, mm -hmm. right? It'll they just look off. It'll just look off. They won't know that. Well, that's because the the angle of this edge of the roof isn't going to the same vanishing point as the top edge, right? The two parallel lines must converge on the same point <laughs> at the horizon. Um, same thing with how a road converges on the horizon. If it was like a perfectly straight level road. Now, when there's winds and curves, yeah, that's all in perspective. You mm -hmm. have to understand it or else you're going to get it wrong. So I'm taking all of that knowledge. I'm using photo reference that I'm taking 
out in the field uh, under great horrible conditions. <laughs> There's a picture of you in a ghillie suit. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm out there. I mean, I'm not kidding. I have strapped heat packs to my camera just so that I could keep it working because the batteries are dying because it's like minus 20 <laughs> degrees out when I'm trying to photograph these pheasants. Oh, um, and so I've been in, I've endured some pretty horrible conditions to to make it happen. But and it's it's hard because with ducks and other wildlife, you can't control. You can't tell them, OK, now I want you to go stand on this and turn this way. Uh, turn your head back like that so I can get the light catching on the the green eye stripe you have there. I mean, there's there's so many elements that go into it that are just by chance. So, so I, how much of your final result is you just because of the amount of time you've spent staring at these animals? Yeah, you you just know where. Okay, because of I know their eye comes out that far. Here's where there should be a a highlight. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that. And and you have because you, you have, have to, to study bone it. structure too. Oh yeah, yeah, all of the anatomical stuff. I did it with people too. Um, yeah, I remember calling into the doctor complaining that I think my xiphoid process is dislocated. <laughs> and like, who is this guy? And the the where the receptionist is like, well, how do you know that? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, how do you know that's what it's called? I'm like, oh, I took I took human anatomy and physiology. Like, what do you what do you wow. mean? So. Yeah, people aren't allowed to know things, I guess. Mm -mm. Yeah, I think she thought I was a hypochondriac or something because I actually knew some anatomical <laughs> terminology. So, um, no, but that that same stuff transfers into bird anatomy. And I even sat in on my sister's ornithology class one time just because she knew I was into birds and she asked her teacher. And, and I'm sitting there and the teacher kept getting things wrong. Really? In a college course, yeah, on, on ornithology. And so... I'm sitting did there. Did you just bite your tongue or did you uh, that actually was the jump thing. up? I, I leaned over to my sister. I'm like, she's talking about black ducks and she's calling them hen mallards. <laughs> and I'm saying to my sister, what do I do? Right. What do I do? Should I say something? I mean, you guys are going to this on this field trip to McGee Marsh. You guys are going to see these ducks. I mean, those are black ducks. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, I know my, I mean, they're black ducks. And so she's like, oh, I don't know if you think you should say something. I'm like, I'll just raise my hand. And I just raised my hand and innocently said, are you sure those aren't black ducks? And she's like, wait a second. Wait a second. She goes over to the slide and she pulls it out. Oh, these are black ducks. Oh, no. <laughs> and and I forget, there was another thing I too. And then she, I forget what it was. It just so happened she was talking about ducks this day. And I mean, ducks, I know. Is, is that your thing? I know ducks better than any of the yeah. other birds. Well, then, oh, there was a pair of gadwall sitting on a muskrat house that she had a slide of and- she didn't know what they were. And she's like, well, we probably won't see those. And she just skipped past them because I think she knew I might call her out again. <laughs> so, and then she was talking about the, the tarsus on the duck's leg. And uh, it's the metatarsus. The bones are fused together on a lot of birds okay. for strength. And so uh, I just bit my tongue. It's like, okay. I, there, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to like make people embarrassed or anything, right. but yeah, I mean, but so you, you put all of this faith into, into the experts, you mm -hmm. know, the experts are supposed to know they have all the answers and, but it's interesting. You get more than one expert together and it's amazing how many things they don't agree on. And it's like, okay, well, someone's not right. So yeah, you would think if you have the same data, you if, should come to the same conclusion. They should be the same theory. conclusions and yeah, they're not. So, um, so you are currently a wildlife painter. Yes. 
full-time. Yeah, that, that is your career. Path. I kind of took the month off to try to do my best yeah. with the campaign stuff. But yeah, that is my career. I have a federal duck stamp entry I have to paint. Um, When's that due? August 15th. But I'm going to be gone some in July. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've we've got a busy schedule. So when, you know, win or lose June 7th mm-hmm. on the primary, I'm going to kind of breathe a sigh of relief and then go back to my normal work regardless because I have to. Um, so you have the Louisiana State Duck Stamp for 2020. Yep. Ohio also? Yep. Is that 2020 or 21? Or is 21 not? Well, no, I entered. Be there. So I entered for that year. I entered three different duck stamp contests. Some states make their, their stamp right away. Some do it like the next year. So, But I entered three different state duck stamps, mm-hmm. and I ended up winning all three. So I won the Louisiana, the Ohio, and the North Carolina all within a matter of like a couple months. I won all three. So um, how many people do what you do? Uh, I mean, it depends on, I guess, I guess you could break it down by the level. I mean, there's a lot of people that paint waterfowl. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, the paint to the level that you would enter for the not, duck stamp. Not really that many. I mean, so so I enter the federal duck stamp contest every year. Mm-hmm. That's, that is the, that is, you have uh, usually a couple hundred entries from across the whole country. Okay. The best people in the whole country are entering, the best wildlife artists are usually entering that contest because it's pretty lucrative if you win it. Now, it, is that one, or I guess are all of these, they don't have guides, it's a bird? Or it has to they be a have duck, five eligible species. It? Okay. Usually five eligible species for each year. They've had some years where they did some little things like, okay, well, you have to have this in there or you... Uh, the scene just doesn't look, matter, right? Like, no, that's not all really. Up to you. It, it just, right. It has to be one of these eligible species. And uh, like they had for a while where it had to include a hunting element mm. because hunters contribute so much to conservation and they wanted to kind of tip their hat to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up doing away with that. Then they wanted like a songbird or some kind of other bird included in the scene, which it all gets very distracting. Like it really should just be the ducks. Wait, but who buys a duck stamp? It's almost all it's almost all waterfowl hunters or people that want to hunt migratory game birds. It's part of the license. Like you have to you legally have to have the federal duck stamp in order to hunt migratory yeah, birds. Yeah, but is, can you get that? Do people buy that duck stamp and don't hunt? Oh sure. Yeah, there's actually a lot to do. Oh. So but because it's is it just a conservation it is. investment? Yeah, I mean okay. so anyone that wants to learn more about the federal duck stamp should definitely watch the million dollar duck documentary. Not because I'm in it, yeah, but just because that, by the way. it's it's actually really well. <laughs> yeah. No. But if, if if you watch that that film and it actually won all kind of awards. I know it sounds like it would be boring, it's about stamps. It's not boring. I mean, mm-hmm. towards the end, I could almost guarantee you'll be on the edge of your seat. You might even tear up. I do almost every time I watch it and I I lived it, so I know what happens. Um, it it won. I mean, does it follow one whole series or one it, whole year? It follows year of... one year of the okay. contest, and and he, uh, the guy who filmed it, followed a handful of artists, um, like half a dozen artists, and you kind of feel like you almost know the people. Mm-hmm. So he really introduces you to the person, not just the artist, mm-hmm. but the the person, and what goes into creating this painting, what people have invested. Uh, and then at the end, it's off to the contest, mm. and it's out of your hands, and you're just sitting there as people's <laughs> hopes and dreams are being dashed. And you know, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty it's is real there a life. Consolation prize, or it's just no. the the one that chosen no. is it? actually. I think that's one of the lines in the film. There is no consolation prize. <laughs> if you come in second place, I mean, yay for that's you. That's neat. But... but second place, I mean, you you're just like the first loser, mm. right? So, 
Uh, <laughs> one of many. <laughs> one of many. I mean, that that's basically what it is. And uh, and the contest is, it's not always the best painting wins. You know, it's got, you have five different judges. Not all of them should even be judges. Mm. There's people that aren't, don't even know the duck species. Um, so at some point, it is just how good is the, the product? It, it, what it's supposed to be is when you have this group of individuals judging this contest, that together they should pick, based on all their different expertises mm-hmm. and you know visual acuity, the best should rise to the top, even if maybe someone doesn't know the species right. or if they don't know the anatomy. Um, that doesn't always happen. I mean, I've seen years where a painting that was maybe not even in my top 30 ends up winning. Mm. So, uh, so that can happen. Um, but if you win, it's worth it. And so the, the best artists in the country generally enter, uh, typically I'm, I'm in the top 10 at least. So, you know, that's, uh, that's rewarding. I mean, to consistently place high, if you're in like, and I've, I mean, frequently I'm in the, you know, in the top five. So, uh, but it's never a given. And mm-hmm. even if you think, okay, I've got a painting that can't be beat. And that's always my goal, right? My goal is I'm going to do a painting that can't be beat because I don't like to lose, right? So I don't like to lose at that. I don't like to lose at running <laughs> for office. I don't like to lose at anything. Nice. I like to win. And, um, and I fight for that. But, you know, there's some things that are just out of your control. Mm-hmm. And that contest is one. This is maybe another, this running for office. I mean, all I can do is try, right? Yeah. You, you put your best out there. And some people I think maybe don't because then they can always use it as an excuse. Like, well, I, I ran out of time or, you know, I, yeah, I wasn't able to do a, my, my best this year because of this happening or this. And, and then when they don't do their best, they can use that as an excuse. Like, well, I ran out of time. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, maybe if I had put in my time, I would have won, but you're putting yourself out there. So yeah. I, my, my objective is I'm going to fully put myself out there, whether it's my artwork or whatever. And just let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. So. Well, this has been a fun chat. Um, I'm just digging through your paintings on your website, and if you go to the the artwork side and go to paintings, the cardinal pair, <laughs> the sizes on the screen, I cannot tell that the red cardinal is painted, and that's crazy. <laughs> it looks like a phenomenal photograph. That that painting is 12 by 16 inches. That's um, gorgeous. Thank you. The guy who bought it lives in Florida, which I don't even know if they have cardinals in Florida. They probably do. But yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, I grew up in Ohio. That's the state bird. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I envisioned it ending up somewhere in Ohio. But yeah, there you go. So um, it's fascinating. Yeah. AdamGrim.com with two M's in Grim. Yeah. Um, you are on the ballot in June 7 yep. here in South Dakota, District 4, for one of two seats that's right there are four candidates running yeah um where can people find more about your campaign uh i have a facebook page adam grim for state house um i've been i've been posting things on there but there's you know i'm doing other advertisements i'm doing um i've been going around doing speeches i've been knocking on doors we're gonna go knock on doors after this so i don't know when you just knock and run yeah 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 i I throw some pamphlets at them (laughs) and yeah that that always works well uh (laughs) Vote for me. No, I. I mean, a lot of times people aren't home. Like, I don't know. What do you do? Like, well, I, I, I leave a, a little flyer thing in their door or mm-hmm. something so they can maybe see about me. But, um, no, I, it's hard. I mean, in a, a district like this is very big. I really appreciate you having this forum and inviting me on. 
Um, you know, it's hard to reach everybody. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody about really any issues that matter to you and, um, yeah, see where, where best, things end Best up. way for people to reach you, like actually reach out. Like, do you have a, just well, through Facebook? Through Is my, that a clean just, way just to do it? Just go to or? my website. My, okay. my website has a contact page. That's there's, how I found you. Yep. yep. There's email. You can email me through that. Uh, my phone number's listed right on there. It'll ring the phone in my pocket. So, uh, good <laughs> or bad. Up. <laughs> yeah. Buckle up, buttercup. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, I don't, you know, I don't shy away from people reaching out to me. I usually answer my phone if, if someone were to call me, um, it's not always easy right now with everything going on. We've been crazy busy and doing a lot of different events, but yeah, I'm I'm happy to have a conversation with people. And if awesome. I end up at your door, feel free to ask me questions. Um, Let's throw them out. If you need to get out my lawn. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my my friend had that with with that woman that was oh, no. yeah the the oh, pregnant woman. Great. So excellent, yep. Adam. Thanks for hanging out. Um, when or not, you're more than welcome to come back. I'd love to have some I more, appreciate that. more time. It'd be fun. Yeah. If I uh, if I win some art award or something sometime, maybe Excellent. it'd be fun to, to do uh, that. But one guy I had a couple of years on, Scott Simmons. Uh, he's a national uh, duck call carving winner. Oh, really? Simmons calls. Phenomenal. Oh. Some of his, he had, he brought in his, uh, the national champion piece that he carved. Oh, for, yeah. I, again, didn't know that was a thing. It, the it, duck call contest is crazy. Know, it's funny. There's all these like little genres or i don't know yeah. what you want to call it. it's it's really neat because it's it's almost like this underground world that people don't know even exists and that's mm-hmm. what actually attracted the film producer to want to do a film about the federal duck stamp contest is you have all of these people across the whole country that are super passionate about this one thing mm-hmm. and i think that's what makes people so interested when they watch it because you really feel bad for these people when when they lose i mean and i've been in that position many times it's pretty horrible uh especially when the the judges hold up numbers like in or out right or even like a one through five Mm -hmm. uh for for scoring and sometimes they do it with this little like flick of the wrist like i mean it's yeah it's it's like ha yours is crap get out of here it's almost like they're flipping you off i mean i swear it's (laughs) it hurts like it's like oh i mean it's like a knife being jabbed in your side because here you spent maybe a month and a half or two months on this painting Mm -hmm. and Boom, it's out. Yeah. And that's it. So mm. yeah. All that work just down the tubes and and it's you wonder, did they even really look at it? I mean, I put all this time in. <laughs> I you know, I I put that little thing in with, you know, the little bit of lighting on that. Like, did they not see that? What happened? And it's but it's too late. You want to go like lobby for your work. <laughs> uh, I, I I mean, I hate watching the contest. Mm. I I it's it's painful because yeah. not just because my artwork's in it, which is hard to watch when it's being judged by these people up there, but other friends of mine who have paintings entered, and even if you do well, they may not, and you mm. feel bad for them, and it's it's just the whole thing. So, yeah, yeah. but it, it is fun. It's called the Million Dollar Duck. It has nothing to do with my campaign or anything no, with that. No, it's just who you are, which is fascinating. That's but, Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, hanging out for the last hour and a half or so. Yeah, it's been um, a pleasure. Let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adam, for coming on the show. AdamGrim.com. This is the interview. The the interviewpodcast.org is our website. You want to help support the show? Go there. Find the Donate Today button. You choose the value you get out of the show. You decide the value, what it is. Turn it into dollars. Send it back our way so we can continue these conversations. I hope you enjoyed this chat. I hope it helped inform you just a little bit. Uh, If you are a voter in District 4 in South Dakota, uh, if you 
Election day is June 7, 2022 for the primary. So if you don't care about politics, definitely check out adamgrim.com to see the art that this guy comes up with. <clears throat> Absolutely incredible. Photorealistic painting. Just phenomenal. Anyway, thanks so much, Adam. Thank you all for listening. Whymillbank.com is our studio website. Theinterviewpodcast.org. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you next time.